Now, the thing I said on the night was that learning to win, and I was talking about option comps, but I think it applies to anything, is first about learning to lose. You've got to learn to lose. You've got to learn to go away, accept it, live with it, keep working, work harder, get better, come back and try again. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. We're proud to present Courageous Conversations, a podcast series focusing on the tough decisions people have made to put themselves on a pathway to success. This episode is brought to you by Connect Now, who makes the business of moving easier for both you and your clients. For more information, visit connectnow.com.au. Please welcome your host, Leanne Pilkington. Hey everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for the latest edition of Courageous Conversations and with me I have got the current Australasian auctioneering champion, Clarence White. Hey Clarence. Hey Leanne, how are you? Yeah, very well. I was so thrilled to see you win that title not that long ago actually. It was amazing, so congratulations. Thank you, yes. It's exciting. It's a big reward for a lot of work, so I'm chuffed. (laughs) Yeah, you deserve to be very proud. It's a very tough competition and I, for one, sit there, and I think I said this on the night, I sit there in the room watching you guys adding stuff up in your heads. If somebody tried to do that to me, my brain would just close down and I would run from the building. But we will talk more about how you go about handling something like that in a minute. I wanted to just start with the beginning of your real estate journey. So you've been in the industry more than a decade, haven't you? Yeah, so I started out in late 2010, early 2011. Took a job as a sales agent at a business called First National North Sydney. Yep. Tim O'Halloran, Mark Smith down there. Sure. So, yeah, that was the beginning for me. Only a relatively brief stint in sales before I moved into some other elements. So, yeah, I had a bit of an unusual journey, I guess, in real estate that kind of led me to my auctioneering stuff. And so, what did lead you to auctioneering? Oddly enough, my second job in real estate was as a general manager for a little boutique here on the North Shore. Yep. I don't know how I managed to convince somebody to give me that job, but I did. <laughs> I was way in at the deep end, probably over my head. You know, I had run businesses before, but obviously I was still learning a lot in real estate. So it's literally a case of bite off way more than you can chew and chew like crazy. Yep. And in that role, obviously I had my Saturdays free and you know, I was a fairly excited customer when I was standing at auctions. I was probably the most excited guy there. Forget the vendor and the auctioneer and the agent. I was sitting there vibrating, you know. Why? Like, what did you talk <laughs> about it? I don't know. It's just really exciting. There's a lot of adrenaline. You know, it's a high value transaction. In a lot of cases, it's the most important transaction that people make in their lives. And, and they probably only do it maybe once, twice, three times maybe in their lives and they buy a house. And I just found it really exciting and really stimulating. When I saw, and it was a little advertisement that came up on Seek for an auctioneer, and you never see that, right? That is a job you never see. And it happened to be with Sharon Benny, who had placed me in my first job. So I rang Sharon up and said, what's this job? That was the starting point from there we kind of moved. Yeah, fantastic. Now, you had some health challenges sort of a few years into your real estate career that ended up having a little bit of a silver lining for you. Can you give us a bit of an idea of why it ended up being a positive thing for you? Yeah, look, I had a reasonably major surgery that I did in late 2014. It was only a couple of months after I competed at the Ostros for the very first time. And that surgery didn't go very well, left me with some nerve damage and some chronic pain kind of flow on effects that stayed with me. Yeah, it had a really big impact, I guess. You know, it's funny. I think the first thing that it did was made me forcefully deal with vulnerability, which perhaps hasn't been a, a strong suit in my life, yeah. <laughs> generally speaking. You know, when you're forced into a situation where you don't have a lot of control over it and it's very challenging and it's emotional and it's hard, 
I think that's one thing that comes out of it. But I think the other thing that builds, and I'm a chronic perfectionist, so suddenly being thrust into a situation where my life was wildly imperfect and I was in pain and I couldn't control it. I was going to say no control would be really tough for you. Tough, Yeah, that's tough for me. But it immediately starts teaching you about firstly how to deal with things when they're not perfect, which I think yeah. you know feeds into your ability to accept things like failure, things like losing, things like not achieving something on the first attempt. And I guess you start to build a resilience to be able to, you know, accept that things can be imperfect, accept that sometimes you make mistakes, accept that sometimes that you, you know, things don't go well and then just keep getting up every day and keep trying to do well at your career and keep trying to chip away at the things that you want to achieve and having good relationships with the people that you care about. And it's hard to quantify, but it changes your mindset a lot. And I feel like for me, it probably changed me. I think as a younger man, I was probably somebody that might have tried things and if I didn't succeed at it immediately, maybe I cast it aside and I'm trying on to something else. But yeah, it just sort of, I guess it changed my tenacity and my willingness to keep chipping away at things and my ability to accept where they were and where I was in my life, which, you know, in a funny way, you know, set the chain of events in motion that perhaps allowed me to keep coming back and keep trying with the Austros. I mean, that's obviously the point du jour, but yeah. I've talked about this often that we really need to reframe the concept of failure because there is no success unless you've had some failure, right? You can't expect to succeed at everything that you do. And you do, you fail, you learn, and then you do again, right? Yeah. And I think it doesn't matter whether you're trying to write a million dollars in commission or if you're trying to be a world champion athlete or if you're trying to win an Australasian championship, any big thing in your life that you try and achieve you're very unlikely to achieve it on the exact first attempt. Unless you're extremely lucky or extremely blessed or extremely talented. Or you're not aiming high enough. It could be that too. But so for big yeah. very often you have to accept first failing at it and then be able and willing to deal with that and then willing to go away and learn from that, get better, come back and keep doing it. So yeah, absolutely. Which is exactly what you did with the Austros. You just said then that your first attempt was in 2014. Yes. And so have you competed every year? Okay, so in 14 was the first year I did auction competitions. I was really lucky and blessed that I won the state comp, the REI comp, I should say, and qualified for the Austros on my first attempt, which was, you know. Wow, that's amazing. deal in itself, but I was way off the pace of the Austros, right? I was overall. They're so good, those guys. If you've never been to an Austros competition, you've got no idea. Yeah, so it was a real eye-opener for me to the Austros in 14, but I guess the dream and the goal sort of started at that point. The bug bit me, so to speak, in competition auctioneering. And I was like, I want to win that competition. I want to become an Australasian champion. So, yeah, 14th, first time I've competed in the state comp every year since then. So, only the top two in each state and the top two from New Zealand qualified to go to the Australasians. I didn't qualify through New South Wales in 15 and 16. So, I missed a couple of Austros then. And then 17, I returned and came back and obviously went really close in 17. So, I've had five attempts at the Austros. That's something in itself. And The reason that I wanted you to be on the podcast was, as I said to you, your speech on the night when you won was really impactful for me because you were very vulnerable and that's not what we see of you, let's be honest, because what you do, you've got to be very confident and and quite out there. But you were very vulnerable and you were really open with the fact that you are very clear on what you're good at and what you're not good at and how to overcome your perceived weaknesses. So can you talk to me a little bit about all of that? I said on the night, I mean, some of the past winners at the Austros, when you look at guys like Justin Nickerson, who's won it three times, two of them 
in beating me quite narrowly. Guys like Andrew North and Daniel Coulson and some of these guys who are just sort of the legends of the Australasians. They're naturally very charming. They're funny. They're quick. They've just got likability in spades. And I'm probably not built the same way as those sort of guys. So I felt like for me, firstly, I had to work on humour. I don't think that was a strong suit for me. And you, know, you just come up with some cute things and you develop a bit of a style where you have a bit of fun and a bit of banter with people. But I think in particular what I worked on was a lot on technical prowess. So for me, I decided, and it really crystallised in 2019 when I went really close again. So in 17, I was the runner-up, close run thing, really tough to miss out that year because there was a trick bid in the final and I was the only one of the five finalists that got it. So I was standing there thinking, I'm a chance, I'm a chance. Um, yeah. Justin's name got read out and I was just like, oh, oh. And then 19 went really close again, but I probably missed in 19 because I made some errors. I made some technical errors in the sequence that year. So I really decided at that point that they're never going to beat me again on me. You know, they're just not going to get me on numbers anymore. And that's something that I can do that I'm probably naturally pretty good with numbers. So for the last three and a half years, me and the team, we've just been training the house down on numbers. And that's every week. That's literally every week. We get in the rooms, we give each other turn, and we're basically trying to come up with the hardest possible challenges the most difficult numerical bids that we can come up with, the most difficult questions, the most strange and weird interruptions, basically designed to throw the auctioneer off, which is the sort of things that you get in these auction competitions. And we have the team try and throw as many diabolical things as they possibly can at me to get used to just what... The team must love that. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of scope for creativity and we have some really good laughs doing it. But, yeah, it's literally been every week yeah, for the last three years that we've been doing that. And that became a real discipline. Man, that determination, that's massive determination. And you've also thrown yourself into other competitions, right? Yep. I've competed a couple of times. There's a competition in New Zealand called the LBD competition. There's a competition in Brisbane called the Apollo Auction Competition. And so we've travelled around to those competitions in addition to the REI New South Wales comp, obviously, that we do every year. So, yeah, this year, I mean, we went to New Zealand, then we went to Brisbane, then we did the state, then we did the Austros. So you were definitely match fit. <laughs> yeah, it's all part of <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of lessons in there because, you know, you would be considered to be top of your game. You are obviously the best auctioneer in Australasia right now, but from a corporate perspective, you are one of the best auctioneers in the country and have been for a long time. So for you to be so focused on that training, I think every person watching this, whether they're an auctioneer, a sales agent, a property manager, what they do, you have to focus on achieving your goals and get people around you who can help you achieve them, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it doesn't happen without team. You know, I said it on the night, all of my team own a little bit of that win because it wasn't just me, it was a win for us because it's on the back of all. And I think Emma was as was more excited than you were, <laughs> just quietly. She's such a great supporter. I believe you had her on she the is. podcast yourself recently, but, you know, just exudes positive energy. She's great. She's amazing to have in the crowd, cheering and hooing. You know, that was wonderful. It's like anything, Leanne, you know, if you want it bad enough, you do the work. And if you don't want it bad enough, you just don't do the work, right? And so when you look at anybody, whether it's, as I said, a high-performing sales agent or an auctioneer or a sports person or whatever it is, there's a lot of people that didn't, that said they wanted to and didn't. And then there's some that do. That's not an analogy about me, but I think it's just an analogy about that if you want it badly enough, if it just burns in you badly enough, you do it, you do the work because you want to do the work because you want to win the thing. You know, that for me, I guess, was it. It was a bit of an obsession almost to do so. You know, you have to be prepared to be vulnerable, right, because you might not win. 
And so then you've got to deal with all of that as well, right, if you don't win. And you had a story on the night about a young guy that you saw not win the Ostros and you never saw him again. Yeah, that one really struck me. It was a young bloke from one of the other states. It was a few years back and it was his first time competing at the Ostros. He actually made the top five finals, so he qualified through to the second day. Which is massive. That's enormous on your first attempt. I mean, I was so far off the pace it wasn't funny at my first attempt. And, you know, when they announced the winner, I remember seeing him and talking to him after the announcement and he was absolutely inconsolable. His head was down and he was like, oh, I can't believe it. And I went over to him and spoke to him and I remember saying to him, you've just made an Austro final on your first attempt here. That is absolutely outstanding. You should feel great about yourself. He was inconsolable. He didn't really take that on board. He was just so depressed that he didn't win it and he's never competed again to my knowledge. And I just think that's sad because what a talent, right? Right. Yeah, I guess it just really struck with me. And because I knew how he felt, you know, I've stood there a couple of times and been really close yeah. and missed out. And it hurts. It stings you. It's like a stake in the, in the heart. And, you know, it's hard. And you think, how many times am I going to qualify through my state comp to get another go at this, let alone actually have a chance to win it? And so each one is like this little precious gold moment that you really want to make the most of. And when you go close and you don't. You know, the thing I said on the night was that learning to win, and I was talking about auction comps, but I think it applies to anything, is first about learning to lose. Got to learn to lose. Yep. Got to learn to go away, accept it, live with it, keep working, work harder, get better, come back and try again and just have the mindset that I want to do this and therefore I'm going to keep at it and I'm going to keep trying and if I'm good enough, eventually I'm going to achieve it. And hopefully you do. And you've got to learn to be a gracious loser too, right? Yeah, definitely. Maybe like somebody who's kicking dust outside the hall when they didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what's next for you? Are you going to compete again next year? Uh, yeah, look, I was going to say auction comps, you know, like there's elements that can be quantified in the judging of it and elements that can't too. So sometimes it's going to go your way and sometimes it's not. Not everybody in the room is going to agree who the winner was and that's why you have nine judges just so that you get a consent. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, right, because sometimes, you know, the jokes that you tell or the language that you use will resonate more with one judge than another. So. I guess you've kind of got to have been to a few of them to understand what works and what doesn't. Yeah, well, and you could look at two auctioneers. I mean, I think this year was a great example. You know, Robert Tolk, who was the runner-up, probably outpointed me in a whole bunch of categories. You know, his material was probably funnier. He had good banter back and forth with the bidders. He answered his questions really well. There were some really good things he did in the bidding. What I did really, really cleanly, and, you know, it seems like, was navigate the bidding sequence where others got caught with yeah. the difficult numbers that came at us you know, and made errors and things like that, I managed to sail through that. So two people could look at that and go, well, I think that's the winner or I think that's the winner, and neither one's right or wrong. It's just consensus at the end of the day. Yeah. So you just take the wins when you get them and you be grateful and thank your lucky stars. But, yeah, to answer your question, what's next? Am I going to go back and defend? I'm going to try, yeah. yeah. I think it would be rude not to at least make an attempt to defend your title. Well, there are a few people in history that have gone, yep, I wanted it. I'm not going to risk losing it again. So <laughs> I've got it now. I'm out of here. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty competitive. I think one thing that people know about me is that I do like to compete at things. I really enjoy comps just as a discipline, you know, in our craft and in our business. I love them. So I, not only am I competitive, but yeah. I also enjoy the training. And I enjoy it because it is constantly making us think about what we're doing and making us innovate. And one of the things that's really easy to do as an auctioneer is get stale. You look at a lot of auctioneers yes. who've been doing it a long time and their call is relatively stagnant over time. For me, yeah. I get bored of myself. I can't listen to myself after a year of using the same material. I'm like, I've got to freshen this up. You know, I've got to change it because if I'm bored of me, imagine how bored everybody else is. My client no, really is. the yep. same gags and the same jokes. So I like the discipline. 
Yeah, I'll go back and try and defend you. I mean, coming through New South Wales is always the first challenge. There's a lot of good auctioneers that go into the New South Wales comps. They first got to qualify. And then, yeah, if I'm lucky enough to qualify, I'll, I'll go and have a crack in New Zealand. And Yeah, absolutely. I'll be there. Absolutely. So it would be wrong of me not to just check in and see what you're seeing in the market right now because you're obviously on the ground. Really interesting market at the moment. Very much a mixed bag in terms of what we're seeing in auction activity. Everything from very apathetic, very flaky buyers who are sort of unwilling to engage and unwilling to engage strongly on price through to some strong auctions where we're starting to see some stronger activity. Particularly the last three to four weeks, we've started to see the instances of good auctions popping up again, whereas we really didn't have them for a few months in the middle of the year. So for A-grade stock where the pricing's been gotten right, we're actually starting to have some good auctions again. But it's funny because, you know, like on Saturday, I pulled seven auctions on Saturday. We sold four. Three of them were screamers and then the other three were absolute dogs. (laughs) So we were scratching around with none, one or two bidders, not getting bids and and not reaching reserves. And then then we had several where we, we sold above reserve with good competition. So... It's a really mixed bag. You've still got tentative buyers out there, but I feel like some of that tentativeness is starting to thaw with some buyers. They're finding their feet, knowing that there's already a bit of a discount. Well, I mean, stock levels, I know auction levels are down, I don't know, something like 40%, right? And clearance rates this weekend were the highest that we've seen since April. So interesting, but it's because we've got so little stock, right? The clearance rates are, are still up there. Yeah, I think that's a key factor. I mean, we CoreLogic reported 701 auctions across Sydney. To put that in context, at this time of the year, yep. the height of spring would be normally at least 850 to 9 and a big weekend's 1,000. Compared to late last year, we busted all records and we... Well, same weekend last year was 1,239. Yeah, I mean, the high point late last year was 1,700 yep. in a week or thereabouts. So we just broke records yeah. left, right and centre. But even compared to normal, yeah, we're probably about 30% off, I reckon, on volume. I mean, that's supporting yeah. price. Yeah, it makes it hard. The fact that there's a lack of choice is certainly supporting price for the ones that are in the market right now, and so I guess that's good for them. <laughs> and we're recording this just after the controversial block auction. Did you watch that last night? Yes, I did, yes. Any comments on what the hell happened? Look, there's always a part of me that says, well, how much of this is made for television and how much of this is actually the reality of what happened? Did they reshoot it? Did they edit it in a way totally. that it's in a different order? And you never quite know. Really interesting. I think the results reflected the market. You know, I think there's a dearth of buyers and obviously those are pretty unique price points in the location that they're in as well. I probably would have been going first if I were choosing a position because I think when there's not many buyers, you would just go first. For goodness sake, capture all the buyers that you can and be first. Yeah. And, of course, it was the first one that won. Yeah, I think there were some interesting things that came out of it. I mean, there was obviously a real spotlight on this concept of calling properties on the market and reaching that point of no return. And regardless of how things happen, like I said, yep. half of that's made for television anyway, but I've always been a big advocate that you don't call a property on the market as soon as it passes the reserve just for the sake of it because you are giving something away at that point. You're giving away your ability to go back and negotiate with the highest bidder or to decide to keep negotiating at that point. And I just thought it was a really interesting spotlight yep. on that particular issue because it came up and then it came up again and again and again and it was really talked about. So yeah, I guess if there are agents watching here, I can use this opportunity to influence people, the practice of calling properties on the market in a long-term strategy is not in your best interest. It's in nobody's best interest because it gives buyers a reason not to bid. And why would we want to create that? What we want to create is bidders who are bidding so that we get on the market. If people are waiting for something to be called on the market in order to bid, then that is completely self-defeating for them, but it's also defeating for us. So if you just take the practice of calling the property on the market 
out of the equation yep. and you sell it once you're above your instructions, then bidders have to bid in order to buy. And I think that's the way it should be at an auction. And you also maintain your leverage. You maintain your ability to stop the auction at any point. So, okay, we're going to negotiate with that bidder. Yeah. So, yeah, fascinating. Fascinating business, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was heartbreaking and fascinating all at the same time. I'm really interested in what you make of that. You get so many different opinions, you know, practices, I guess, from sales agents with respect to calling properties on the market. What's your take on it? I agree. I don't think you should call it on the market. They used to do that all the time back in the day, maybe even when you first started, mm. but it doesn't make any sense. And buyers also go and watch auctioneers before they go to their own auction to buy, right, so that they understand the way that you do things and the way you run an auction. So if they see you calling it on the market, they're going to be calling for you to call it on the market, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's almost like a way of training the marketplace to understand that that just take that cue off the table. Forget about that cue. It's irrelevant because if you don't bid, it won't be on the market anyway. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you. Can't believe we've been speaking for nearly half an hour already. I've lied. I know, time flies when you're having fun. So lovely to catch up. Congratulations once again. And I will keep my fingers crossed that you make it through New South Wales again next year to compete in New Zealand, where I will be in the audience, I promise you. Thanks so much, Leanne. I really appreciate you having me on. Pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Courageous Conversations with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agency's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com.